So if you grew up going to church at any point in your life, as a child, you saw either a video just like this or some sort of felt board representation of this. I know this because that's what happened to me. Um, so here we are ending, ending the narrative portion of Daniel's life. And uh, I think there's some interesting things that, that as, as I grew up in church, there were some things that I might have missed. Not saying they weren't taught, but I may have missed them. So if you have a Bible, grab that, run over to Daniel chapter six. Uh, we're gonna spend two weeks in Daniel chapter six. The first week is gonna be called Delivered Over to Death. That's this week. Next week will be called Delivered from Death. Um, so for me, growing up in church, one of the things that I think was missed is that I knew the story of Daniel who refused to eat the king's food. I knew the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I knew the story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. I knew there were some dreams somewhere in there, but those weren't really taught to kids because who wants to know what dreams mean more than kids, Right? I got six of them, they always have dreams and they want me to tell them what they mean. Uh, like I had a dream last night that Darth Vader was coming to get me, what does that mean? It means that you're dreaming about things that aren't real and uh, you need to go back to sleep. I, I woke up and I saw snakes on the wall, what does that mean? It means that you're seeing things that aren't there. Uh, you need to stop screaming in the middle of the night and waking your mother up, uh, cause I sleep through all that. Uh, you need to go back to sleep. I think the gaps that were missed there is that I did not, as a child, put together Daniel, who exhibited this faithfulness as a young teen, was the same Daniel who exhibited this faithfulness to God at 92 years old. And that was, that was lost on me as a child. So here I am believing that there's this young guy named Daniel, and it's really cool. Maybe this book here called Daniel is about all of the dudes named Daniel. No, it's all about one guy and his buddies. So we've been kind of diving in, trying to understand how to live a faithful life inside of an unfaithful culture. And to do that, what we've done is taken a very slow route through the first five chapters of Daniel. It took us 13 weeks to get through that. As we you know, hunker down and go really slow, we get the opportunity to see Daniel's faithfulness over and over again. And we get to see kind of what's at the root of it. How, where was Daniel's faith rooted? Uh, well, when things happened, Daniel ran to prayer. So what we learned in the beginning is that we need to be people, if we're gonna be people who live by faith, we gotta be people who are called, drawn to prayer. All of these things that we can see. One of the things that happens when you take such a slow route through it is maybe we begin to miss the thematic ideas behind each of the chapters. So what I wanted to do before we start chapter six is kind of go through each chapter really quickly. My wife loves it when I do the recaps, but really, honestly, it's not about her, it's about the Lord. So we're just gonna talk about his themes and not her preferences, right? So the thematic goal of the first five chapters. So the first one was this, God told his people, I have not forgotten you. Though you've been exiled, though you've been taken away from your home, though you're being assimilated into a pagan culture and asked to adopt a bunch of new practices, customs, I have not forgotten you. Chapter two, when Daniel interprets the king's dream, what he says is that I will rescue you. There is this kingdom who has enslaved you, who has taken you in. And after them, there'll be another kingdom. And after them, another kingdom. After them, another kingdom. 
but I, the Lord your God, will rescue you from this, and I will establish a kingdom that is greater than any other kingdom, and my kingdom will bring all kingdoms to its knees. I will bring them to dust. Chapter three, guys get thrown into the fiery furnace, right? And what do we learn from God there? Not only have I not forgotten you, not only am I going to rescue you, but I am with you. This is the first, uh, one of the first opportunities that we get to look in and see this Emmanuel theme that we celebrate at Christmas, right? Emmanuel means God with us. You look into the fire and you see that God was with them. In the middle of the hottest moment of their life, and maybe you and I haven't been caught up in a fiery furnace, but we find ourselves from time to time in a place where the temperature's turned up, right? And our faith is tested. And God is telling you in those moments, I am with you. Chapter four, the king has a dream. The dream says you're gonna be turned into a beast. And when you humble yourself, I'll rescue you. And so what we see is that God restores the humble. It wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar turned his eyes to heaven and said that this is the true lasting kingdom. And there's another grace. Last week we talked about in John chapter one where it says grace upon grace, how the law was given to us as grace to point us to the holiness of God and Jesus was given to us as a grace on top of grace to rescue us from our inability to accomplish the first grace. And so even here in chapter five when God judges the proud heart of um, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, however you want to say his name, uh, what we see is that God will judge the proud. So we see that God is calling us to be humble. So what we see is that God has been painting the picture of the gospel. The gospel we've been saying all along is not something that shows up there at Matthew chapter one, Mark chapter one, Luke chapter one, John chapter one, but the gospel is the story that God has been painting at the creation of the world. And what God has been telling us is, I have not forgotten you. Though you have walked away from me in sin and you find yourself bound and captive to that sin, I have not forgotten you and I will rescue you and I will be with you. And if you humble yourself, I will restore you. But if you are proud, I will judge you. And all of that leaves us at this place where you and I still have to find a way to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and humble ourselves. But here we are at the end of the narrative story of Daniel's life, and God says that you do not have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But I will be delivered over to death on your behalf. You deserve death and I will take it upon myself. And next week, we're gonna see uh, how God rescues. Um, usually, we kind of read all the way through it uh, and then go back and take it apart. But this week, I kind of wanna just read it together and then talk about it as we go. What we're gonna see here in, in the first 18 verses of Daniel chapter six is a, an uncanny resemblance to the life and ministry time of Jesus. We're gonna see a bunch of jealous people who come up with plans to take Jesus down. We're going to see a weak leader. Let's read it together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these 
these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because of this excellent spirit that was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel has this excellent spirit inside of him. We know that Jesus carries the spirit of the living God in him, right? So there was this excellent spirit in Jesus. The people, the people of earth were drawn to Daniel because of this excellent spirit in him. How do we know this? This is now the third king that we see in this story of Daniel's life. And every single time, Daniel is elevated to a leadership position, which is not normal. Anytime one king takes over for another king, specifically in conquest, all leadership level positions are terminated immediately. But there is something inside of this Daniel, this excellent spirit that you just can't put out. I know, I know the rule book says that I'm supposed to take you down because you pose a threat to my kingdom because I don't know if you're loyal to the last guy or you're gonna be loyal to me, but there was something inside of Daniel that drew people to him. The same is true of Jesus, right? People were drawn to him. Who was drawn to Jesus the most? The weak, the hurting, and children. Right? Which points us back to this idea that God will restore the humble. He judges the proud. Who comes to Jesus? The broken down, the beaten up, those in need of rescue, and those who are young and pure enough to not think that they've got it all together yet. Right? And God tells us that if we want to come to him, we've got to come like these children. We have to realize that we have nothing inside of ourselves. And so there's this excellent spirit that's drawing people to Daniel, pointing us forward to this excellent spirit that's going to draw us to Jesus. Verse four says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement. We're gonna see that phrase, came by agreement three times to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whosoever makes petition to any other god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. So these people who were jealous of Daniel's excellent spirit try to find a way to take him down, which sounds an awful lot like the religious leaders of the time who tried to take Jesus down, right? They were trying to find something There's got to be something. He's got to do something. And so they follow this guy around because this guy poses a threat. He's got something and getting something that we want. And both of them could say, if they had come in conversation, you've got something we want. 
And they would both say, listen, what you're looking for is the applause of man. But we don't seek that. We live our lives for the applause of God. You want to know why you can't find anything against us? Because we live faithful to God and to live faithful to God calls us to live faithful in this life. You want to know why we follow the rules? It's not so that the king likes me. But it's because my God calls me to faithfulness. All all these people needed to do was have a conversation with Daniel. And that thing that they wanted most of all would have been explained to them and they could have been called into this faith. And with Jesus, the same thing, but they didn't. So what they do? They came by agreement. First time here in the Hebrew text that we see this, it's a one word, uh, Hebrew word that we get in English, came by agreement, which means they plotted together. They've decided that they will do whatever it takes. Whether there's 120 of them or 200 of them, we will, we are together. Right? So how many of you are big conspiracy theory people? Anybody? Vinny, raise your hand. Vinny, raise your hand, right? Moon landing never happened. 9-11 didn't happen. Those buildings are still there. Is that what it is? No, oh, whatever. The story we got. Here's the thing. The biggest question mark over all conspiracy theories, and I'm not saying that the conspiracies aren't true, but the number one thing that holds these conspiracies together is the fact that you have to get all of these people to take the truth to their grave, right? Whether, whether or not we landed on the moon or not, all of the people who were a part of hatching the plan, all of the people who were a part of shooting on a soundstage, all those people who came up with the footprint, all of those people have to be committed to take the story to their grave. Same is true with these men. Didn't matter. We have to come together by agreement that even our own life is worth taking down the life of Daniel. Because Daniel poses a threat. And the same came true there with Jesus. So let's see. Where do we leave off? Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be remote. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So what they did is here's what we've got to do. We have to study and know the law. Scribes, Pharisees, these people were people who did what? Studied and knew the law. They knew where all the loopholes were. They knew where they needed to step to sidestep all of these things. And here's what these, these religious leaders here, these spiritual leaders, these leaders of men decided. We have to get the king to sign something that even he cannot change. We would all raise our hand and answer the question, there's nothing that God cannot do, right? Anybody, everybody want to raise their hand? Nothing that God cannot do. That's not necessarily true. God can't change, right? God can't undo something that he has done, right? So when God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, you must die. God either has to be God and stay true to his word or, okay, I didn't quite think you guys were going to do that. 
This shows the difference between my parenting style and my wife's parenting style, right? So here, here I am. I'm going to count to three. Okay, I've counted to three. I'm going to count to three one more time. And if you, if you don't change by the time I count to three a second time, then I'm going to count to three a third time, right? And by the time I've counted to three three times, then I'm going to threaten you. And Chrissy's like, no, you have to tell them how it's going to be, and you have to come through on how it's got to be. And that is something that God can't change. He's told us how it's going to be. He has to hold through on that, or he is not a God worth following. Right? If he is going to bend himself to our stubbornness, then he is no God worth following. Our time spent here in this room is a time wasted. Our faithfulness in worshiping God in the back of the room by giving our tithes and offerings is fruitless. That's, that's money that could have been spent on our own pleasures or at least seeking a God that was worthy of this. So there are, there are things that God, not that he can't do, but there are things he won't do. So we kind of get into a little semantical divide there. But God cannot go back on his word. And so they've taken and inserted and said, listen, we'll get the king to sign a document that even he can't undo. Because if he undoes it for this guy, which by the way, our political system could take some notes from this political system, right? I saw something the other day that said there's no, there's no law, uh, there's, no, there's no amount of things that, that laws that you can't break if you've got enough money, right? So how much money does it cost me to get away with? And as long as you've got that much money, then you can do just about anything. So now here we come to Daniel's faithfulness. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, it's not, this isn't just something that Daniel kind of got himself caught in unaware. But Daniel knew that the document signed. Daniel was fully aware of the injunction. He went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Important right there. Daniel could have, knowing the injunction, gone into his room and prayed in the closet. But he didn't. My hope, my future, and my life are not held in the hands of the people who put this law out there. My hope, my life, my everything is the God who inhabits the praises of his people and I will face homeward, which is something that he gets from King Solomon. All right, there at the end of verse 10, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So nothing changed for him. Then, verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petitions three times a day. So they again, for the third, second time, come by agreement to a weak king. 
because they've tricked this king into doing something that he didn't want to necessarily do. That's part of leadership is sometimes as a leader, you get yourself wrapped up in things without thinking about the ramifications of other things. Right? One of the things that happens when you slow down and go too thoroughly through the text is that you lose the thematic goal that God is trying to communicate to his people. That was not something that was unaware to us. We have always been trying to teach each of these little sections inside of this under the banner of the bigger. But sometimes leadership leads you to make decisions without understanding the full ramifications of what you're choosing to do. And that's what this king did. This king did not take into account that his number two guy, this 92-year-old man, was going to remain faithful to his God, even though everything that he knew about Daniel said that Daniel was going to remain faithful to his God. The weakness here in King Darius points us to the same weakness in Pilate. Jesus is brought before Pilate. Pilate's wringing his hands. I know the decision that I have to make, but I don't want to make it because there's no fault in this man. There's no fault in this man. I don't want to make this decision, but ultimately, Pilate bows down to the wishes of those who are banging at his door just like King Darius does. He backs himself down. Instead of being a leader, he becomes a follower of his people. Because again, just like these satraps and these other officials were thirsty for the praises and the applause of people, King Darius was thirsty for the exact same thing. I need you people to love me. I want you people to follow me and you won't follow me if you don't love me. And so I've got to do some things that I don't necessarily want to do. And so Darius hands Daniel over to execution just like Pilate hands Jesus over to execution. This is a beautiful picture that God is painting for us hundreds of years earlier. Let's finish up this little text here for today. Oh, you know what? Another thing that's uh, funny, kind of uh, interesting to, to our day and time. There in verse 13, it says, Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, which is one of the exiles from Judah. Not, not Daniel, your next guy. Not, not Daniel with the excellent spirit, but Daniel, that Jew from Judah. They brought Daniel's race and his ethnicity into question. Why? Racism has always existed. It's not something new. It's not something that you and I are trying to find our way how to navigate forward as the people of God. That's the first thing. Race has always been an issue. What we have to understand when it comes to race in our own thinking is that all people are created in the image of God. All people are carry the image of God and are worthy of the dignity and respect from the unborn child to the whitest, least rhythmic of us all. Everyone is worthy of the dignity and respect that comes with that. And then two, you and I live in a country where rules and laws are going to start changing. And it will become increasingly more difficult for us to follow 
Jesus faithfully. And our faith will be called into question and we will no longer be called, but we will be called those Christians. Those people. And you and I want a country that fights for religious liberty, right? We want to be able to worship God how we want. And for true religious liberty to exist, those who disagree with us have to be able to worship the way they want. They can't just make laws that protect Christians without giving the Muslims and the Hindus the Sikhs the same rights and privileges, which means that you and I have to press in even further to understand how we communicate the grandness of God to those who worship differently. Because for us to be free to worship how we want and not be labeled as those Christians, everyone else has to be free to do that too, which means you and I have to continually run back to the word of God so that we know the truth of God Vinny and Michonne have been encountering some people who worship differently over the last few weeks. And they've been coming to their home. Vinny and Michonne are firm on what the Bible says. But they've also taken some time to be firm on what the other sacred documents say too. And they have found the holes and now they are, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wooing people who worship differently. Religious liberty means that everybody gets to worship the way they want to. Not just some. But it means that you and I have to figure out a way forward to paint a beautiful picture of Jesus. Which is why I stood Friday night at a wedding and said these words as we started. Friends, family, loved ones, we're gathered here today to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that your invitation said that you were invited to a wedding but today we celebrate the gospel. We have to find a way that everything in our life becomes a celebration of the gospel. Our waking, our sleeping, our working, our parenting, everything that you and I do has to be a celebration of gospel. Everything that you and I do has to be a celebration that God has not forgotten us, that God will rescue us that God is with us, that God gives grace to the humble and he will judge the proud and that Jesus stands to be our ultimate victory when one day you and I are rescued out of this mess and delivered into the kingdom of heaven for eternity. Everything in our life, which is why you and I need to know how to slow down and read these things so that we can learn how to be faithful people and turn to prayer and turn to small group ministry and turn to these things. But we also need to be aware enough to know the themes that God is painting throughout his entire scriptures. Because everything that we do must be a celebration of the gospel. Everything that we do. Let's finish this up. Verse 14 says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Again, painting a picture of his weakness. Much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Just like Pilate. I don't find any fault with these guy. this guy. Take him and judge him according to your law. And they say, our law doesn't allow us to kill him. You have to do it. And Pilate goes back in. And Darius is here. 
Darius is here. Listen, I gotta find a way. There's no fault in him. And he labored until sun up, until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement the third time to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. You signed for yourself a loophole-free agreement, and Daniel must die. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the den of the lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, not may your God whom you serve deliver you, but may your God whom you serve continually. You see, Daniel found a way to make everything in his life a celebration of the gospel. Could the same be said of you and me? May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den... Interesting, huh? Jesus put in a cave with a rock in front of it. Daniel put in a hole with a rock in front of it. Then the king sealed it with his own signet. But nothing was to be changed according to Daniel. And Pilate puts his signature on Jesus' stone puts two guards to make sure that nothing changes the fact that Jesus is dead. You see these pictures? And the most beautiful picture we see at the end. But you gotta come back for next week. All right, so here's, here's what brings us to the table this morning. God has not forgotten you. And he will one day rescue you from this world of sin and death. But until that day, he is with you, ready to provide grace to the humble, knowing that one day he will judge those who are proud. And instead of you and me being delivered over to the death that we deserve, Jesus took delivery on our behalf, was delivered over to death under a bunch of jealous fools, thirsty for the opinion and praises of men and by the signature of a weak king, Jesus went to your death and mine because you and I will be delivered. You and I have been delivered and that is what brings us to the table this morning. And so when you come and you break off that cracker, you are breaking off in recognition that you have been delivered from death by a God who's not forgotten you, who will rescue you, who is with you and brings grace to those who are humble. And you take that juice and you drink it knowing that the blood that was intended for you to shed was shed by Jesus to cover your sin and your brokenness. And so come to the table this morning if you are committed to be a person who is known as one who continually 
serves God. If you are ready to be someone whose praises always sing out the greatness of God and the rescue of Jesus, then come to the table. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. But this is a joyful celebration that your death has been spared and has been assigned to another. So as we sing this morning, you come and celebrate.